Hey, remember healthcare? We haven't forgotten. What a week. Welcome to What a Week, where we break down the week's top stories. My name's Greg Howenstein. I'm filling in for Matt Sinovic. Uh, first off, we want to wish Matt and his whole family a big congratulations on their new addition. Uh, baby and mom are doing great, and we couldn't be happier for them. This week, we have a special program. Progress Iowa on Thursday held a special healthcare roundtable in partnership with the organization Iowa Voices. Uh, the healthcare roundtable featured State Senator Claire Selsey and Iowa Citizen Action Network's Sue Dinsdale, who will be the first voice you hear on the roundtable. Here's the audio of that roundtable now. Some days I just can't believe we're still fighting this battle. You know, um, we're working with lower drug prices now, we're working with Tax March Iowa, and the, the ACA has, um, it's a part of all of that. You know, the, the president and our senators have made promises and after promise about improving health care. And I would really like to have one person tell me how their health care has gotten better since the Trump administration and Joni Ernst got into office. You know, um, and Joni Ernst is probably the one that irritates me the most. She, she says one thing, but her actions are completely different. You know, she's voted over and over again to repeal the ACA. She voted to um, confirm Walker, um, who called for, the, uh, for a lifetime appointment to the courts, who actually said that John Roberts' 2012 decision was indefensible when it came to uh, protecting the ACA. She won't come out and oppose it. She says it's in the hands of the courts right now. Um, we need leaders in Iowa, and I know we have one in uh, Senator Selfie, but um, we need leaders in D.C., we need leaders here in Iowa. We're in the midst, maybe you haven't heard, we're in the midst of a pandemic, and to try to strip away health care at this time is unconscionable, and actually I think it's evil. And um, so I would just say the best thing we can all do is just keep beating the drum, going after our senators, our elected representatives. We have a lot of information on our website at www.iowacan.org. And you can sign up there and um, just thanks. Thank you, Sue. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, all the advocacy that you've been doing um, and on, this, on this effort. I think, you know, it goes a long way and that's what we want to continue to do. Yep. Um, and then real quick, I just wanted to mention that the first uh, 25 folks that signed up will get a free gift card to um, the Bridge Coffee Shop. Um, um, so just look for an email from me. Um, so that'll be a fun little thing. Um, and then I want to pass it over to uh, Senator uh, Celsi to give her the floor. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here today. It's wonderful to see all of your faces. Kind of feel trapped in a bubble here. I'm sure you all do too. I uh, haven't gotten out much lately and it's, uh, it's getting a little better now, I suppose, but can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay, good, just wanted to make sure. Um, 
A few words uh, kind of piggybacking on what Sue said. Um, Joni Ernst, what a disappointment she is to our state. Uh, one of the biggest maybe surprises and or disappointments uh, to me when I got elected in 2018 and started in 2019 was how little Iowa politicians actually control our healthcare system because so much of it is funded by the federal government. So we're currently being held hostage by people like Joni Ernst and uh, Chuck Grassley. And you know what we can control is controlled by Republicans in the state house. So Democrats are fighting the good fight every day, but we have very little control over, over actual policy. Um, so let's talk a little bit about when the ACA was enacted uh, even though it was an imperfect piece of legislation, I think we all know that it had big loopholes in it that states could take advantage of, and they sure did. Um, on top of that, Republicans sued in every possible way they could to keep the ACA from being as effective as it could be, and really taking away some of the best parts of it already. Um, so what we're fighting for is kind of a shell of what the ACA could have been, um, which is disappointing in and of itself. Um, but then uh, we have Chuck Grassley, who has lost all credibility, does Trump's bidding on a daily basis, has no backbone or spine left, if he ever had one. And then uh, Joni Ernst as well, just total corporate puppet who doesn't have any accountability to, to Iowans. Um, but what really happened when the ACA was enacted is that rural hospitals got a lifeline and they ended up hiring people and doing new programs and because so many more people were insured they were they actually had um, some black uh, ink on their books for the first time in forever um, even though we continued to lose hospitals during that time the ACA was kind of a lifeline for some of those hospitals so um, losing the ACA at this point would be devastating to Iowa hospitals and to Iowans so um, the fact that it's gotten this far in the courts is just a travesty and um, I am crossing my fingers that they find an American's favor, an Iowan's favor, uh, when the ruling comes down. Um, and then I'm saving my harshest criticism for our governor. Governor Reynolds hasn't spoken out against Trump on anything. The lack of COVID testing, uh, the coverage that was supposed to be provided for uninsured workers who come down with COVID at work, um, she has been useless. So, you know, we've got some real um, problems in office, Joni, Chuck, and Kim Reynolds. Um, just really uh, sticking it to Iowans at every opportunity. I'm very, very disappointed in their lack of leadership. Uh, Austin, I have a personal story I'd like to tell about how the ACA affected my family. Would you like me to tell that now or wait until um, another time in the call? Right now would be perfect. Okay, great. Well, um, when the ACA was enacted, I had two daughters who are still on my health insurance. They're now um, grown adults. Uh, one's 30 and one is 29. But my daughter, Chelsea, when she was uh, a teenager, got a lump in her breast and it turned out to be a fibrous um, tumor. It was not cancerous, but it was very expensive to remove. 
Um, and the doctor came into the room. He said, good news, it's not cancer. Uh, this is a condition that affects, you know, maybe 10% of the population. But he said, this is going to happen to her throughout her lifetime. And it could come back in her breast. It could come back on her buttocks. It could come back on any fatty tissue in her, on, on her whole body. And these, this tumor was the size of a lemon by the time they uh, took it out. So sure enough, uh, she was 24, I believe, when the next one came. Same breast, same type of tumor. They just took it out. Um, she got a bill in the mail before my insurance paid, and it was $16,000 for the surgery. So if she hadn't been covered both times uh, on my policy, this would have been a devastating blow to a young person uh, who probably would not have had health insurance um, to help them remove this uh, thing through no fault of her own. It's, it's a hereditary condition. Her father had those types of lumps too. So it's just, you know, it can just be an innocuous thing that could uh, send you into medical bankruptcy, appendicitis, anything like that. So uh, the ACA was a real help to my family. Thank goodness now both of my girls are grown up and have their own insurance. Um, I'm very, very thankful for that. But the ACA is something that helps families uh, just get through those, those times. And I can't imagine going backwards in our society. It'll, it'll especially affect young people, I'm afraid. So um, I just hope we can pull through the ACA and then uh, get Joe Biden elected and make it better once he's in office. Thanks a lot, uh, Senator. Um, you know, I, I think for, you know, for me, like as a young person, the ACA definitely just like being able to have my parents' healthcare until I was 26 made a big difference. I didn't have money to pay for healthcare um, or like anything like that or have to like, I didn't have to worry about it. Um, and I think like this is just, it was huge for me. So that hit home for me as well. Um, cool. So what we'll do is we, I wanna uh, open the floor up to uh, the rest of the folks on the call to uh, first get a chance to share your stories or experiences as they relate to healthcare. Um, and then after that, we can move into any questions that folks have. I'll start. Cool. So I would like to share my story. Um, uh, my name is Kim Callahan. I live in uh, Polk County in Des Moines. And we, my family and I moved back to Des Moines. I was born and raised here and then lived away for a long time and moved back here from Canada six or nine and a half years ago. So we spent six years in Canada enjoying healthcare. <laughs> and so I just kind of wanted to share a little bit of information about it. And I always preface this conversation that I have with people about it by saying, I do not believe that we can exactly replicate the Canadian healthcare system in our country. I know that. Um, we have very different economics than Canada, and there are more people in California than there are in Canada. So clearly we need something that's scalable to our country, but just to not have to worry about healthcare in my life on an everyday basis was such a health relief, like the, the mental health the psychological health, emotional health of my family was so much better when we weren't living in a system that was constantly 
administratively, expensively burdensome to my family. There is no escaping the financial crap that comes with the American healthcare system. Even if you have private insurance, it still sucks. I'm gonna be really blunt, it sucks. You have a deductible, you have premiums, you have co-pays, you have out-of-network costs, you have in-network costs. So I guess my question is, um, when I think about all of that, and I, you know, I understand we have a long way to go here before we could ever get to something that amazing, but is the biggest roadblock right now just Republican leadership? What about Democratic leadership? Can you talk to me about some of those people? Because I know we like to blame the Chuck Grassley's and the Joni Ernst, but I don't see federal Democratic leadership really doing a lot to help either. That's just my opinion. So I guess I'm kind of curious, like, is it going to take Joe Biden before we can even begin to move the needle? And even then, is there any hope that we can move the needle? Senator, you want to jump in? Sure. Absolutely. Thank you for the question. And it is a valid question. Um, since I've been elected, I've come to realize that um, there are um, dozens and dozens and maybe even hundreds of issues that are confronting elected officials on a daily basis that are have reached a crisis uh, level yeah. situation. So um, I was very happy when President Obama decided during his first term to tackle the ACA as his first policy initiative. And we all know how hard it was to get that passed, even through Democrats. Yeah. So you're absolutely correct. It is a hot button issue and um, states, especially that have a lot of insurance jobs, um, even Leonard Boswell had, had to be convinced to vote yeah. for the ACA. <laughs> so it is, it is a high hurdle for some folks. Um, I do think some things have changed since the original ACA was, was put into place. And I think one of them is, like I mentioned before, all the loopholes that were allowed to be in the ACA are really what is holding it back now. And many Democrats have come to, to notice and definitely observe among their constituents that the ACA is not enough. We have to either improve it or scrap it and get rid of it and get something completely new because it is, um, um, very challenging with all the lawsuits that have been filed and the, the challenges that have made to the law. So that being said, I do believe that Democrats are 150% more committed to making our healthcare system better than Republicans. I can use the Iowa Senate as an example. Oh, for sure. uh, the Medicaid program here in, in Iowa is just terrible. Devastating. De it's devastating. And not only for the patients themselves, but also for our providers. Our providers are barely hanging on. I can tell you for sure that Democrats, both in the House and Senate, have fought tooth and nail to get some of those things changed. And also, our, even our auditor has gotten into the action by trying to go by the contract, saying we're not even getting what, we, what we're paying for. However, when you have Republican majority in the, in the legislature and a governor who won't sign any bill to correct it, um, it, just come, it really does come back to Republican leadership that is stopping the good ideas from going through. But you, you, you raise a very valid point. I mean, because we have, I, I know Sue said it, we have been talking about this for decades. Yep. 
decades. I remember Hillary, Hillary Clinton pushing for this as the first lady. That I was mean, the sign. That was what that sign was from. Jimmy yeah. Carter. I mean, we could go all the way back to J FDR in 1944, and he proposed yeah. it in his second Bill of Rights. I mean, Absolutely. it goes back a long way. Yeah. So it's just so frustrating to see it go nowhere all the time. So I think my frustration too is I, you know, we pay as taxpayers for legislation that we don't get and we pay for private insurance. I mean, we're paying all the way around and not winning. <laughs> so I want to thank you, Senator, for the work that you do. I really appreciate it. I follow your work on the Hill and I thank all of the Senate Democrats um, for what they're doing because I know you guys have a hard fought battle. So I just wanted to also say thank you for going up there and continuing to fight. I know it's a hard fight. Um, I just want to know how we can help, like prop it up, lift it up. Like this is such a huge issue. And now we're seeing the devastation of COVID and million dollar bills. And I'm just like, we cannot sustain this system. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. Well, first of all, elect Democrats and then hold them accountable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your answer. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. And I, Thank you. I think you're right, Kim. I think COVID has kind of laid the whole system bare. Yeah. You know, with the ACA, um, one of the things that we're working on is the lower prescription drug prices, which was an issue already, but now with COVID, it's on steroids. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, vaccines are covered under the ACA at no cost to the patient. We have no guarantee that that's going to be the case with the COVID vaccine. And we also have no guarantee that drug prices, that the drug companies won't be able to profit terrifically off of this. And I mean, it's just something we have to watch all the time. Right. Thanks a lot, Kim, for- Boston, though. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Kim, for uh, your uh, question and uh, how it's kind of impacted you. Um, and for uh, Senator Susie's, uh, Celsi's response and uh, for Sue as well. Um, so I want to kick it over to anybody else that kind of wants to jump in, share their story, ask a question or anything like that. I could. I'm Louise Miner. I'm from West Des Moines. Hi, Claire. Thank you for all your work. Um, I have worked in health insurance since I got out of undergraduate school. I worked for Kaiser Permanente in Cleveland, Ohio. Yes, they used to be in Cleveland. Um, uh, back in the 80s, and I started noticing, I calculated the rates then, and I started to notice year over year, even in the 80s, the price particularly of pharmaceuticals escalating in double digits, and they were out of control. So this has been going on for a long, long time. And I think that as the insurance companies have gained more and more political power, um, then they ha have stopped a lot of progress they could make. And if people don't think that the insurance companies are to blame, I also want to point out that in the 80s, that's when um, insurance started to be available for your dogs. And in particularly from mid 80s on, and now look how much you spend for veterinary care. It what, never used to be like this. And what happened with that is the insurance companies enabled the providers to start making capital investments in dog hospitals, in laboratory equipment, and the whole thing just escalated out of control. And so I'm getting back to something even more basic, and that is campaign finance reform. If that isn't resolved, 
we're never going to get those insurance companies out of bed with our politicians in, at the federal government. And I, I may be sidetracking this whole conversation. I apologize if you think I am, but it, it is a fundamental contributing factor. Thanks a lot. Um, you know, yeah, we have to make sure we're holding, you know, insurance companies uh, accountable as well. Um, I think that's a really good point. So um, anybody else want to jump in or um, otherwise we have a couple questions people have. Well, I'd just say that the, the whole ACA, prescription drugs, healthcare, it's tied into every facet of our lives. It's tied into campaign finance, it's tied into uh, fair taxes. You know, who's getting the big tax breaks? It's the insurance companies like the ones you worked for to lose. And, you know, it, it's, it, what should be a fundamental right is really turning into a political uh, volleyball. Thanks, Sue. Anybody else? I'll just add, I don't work for insurance companies anymore, and that's one of the reasons. I think they're scummy. And I just, I, it, it got to the point where I was going home, taking a shower, just trying to wash it off. And I thought, it's time to make a change. Good for you. Well, I'm gonna, uh, there's a couple questions um, for the Senator, so I'm gonna go through a couple of those. Um, so from, uh, we have one question that is, uh, what is the real reason for uh, the ACA being so unpopular with, with Republican leadership? Yeah, I already answered that one in the chat. Hi, Nadir, he's a friend of mine, he lives in my district. He's a great man. Um, yeah, I mean, basically what Louise was alluding to is that insurance companies, I believe, now have three lobbyists for every member of Congress. Drug companies are the same. They're swarming our elected leaders and they're donating money. So that's another, that's another thing. Just look inside uh, Governor Reynolds' campaign coffers and Joni Ernst's campaign coffers especially and you will find it's insurance companies and drug companies giving to them. And it just makes them more likely to vote um, in the favor of insurance companies and drug companies. I think that's the answer. Thanks, Senator. Yep. Um, so, so can I add to that question? I'm sorry, this is Nadia. Yep. Is, okay, so in, in 2014, I was uh, diagnosed with stage three prostate cancer. And my total bill that was delivered at the end uh, was about $160,000. That was just for three days in the hospital and recovery after that as well too with hospital and doctor's bills and, and, and all the additional fees that I didn't even know what I, what I was paying for. Uh, as far as the insurance companies are concerned, they get better rates with Medicare and Medicaid, and they are basically using the excuse that the reason why the bills are so high is because of the non-point paying customers, because they have to add it on to the bill for a percentage of how much they, the customers are not paying. Uh, and, and I understand that. So in terms of starting from scratch, 
and being able to basically just say, how do we go from being where we are at today and to be able to help the insurance companies? Yes, they are in there for profit. I understand that. But to also to be able to make sure that everyone has reasonable insurance so that they can provide for their families as well as be able to to uh, to pay for the bills as well. So it's just it's just it's just a cycle, and and it's it's never going to end. The Republicans are going to basically do what, like Claire said, because of the fact that they are being uh, uh, paid for by them by the insurance companies, and the Democrats are going to fight for pre-existing conditions and things like that. That is great. But at the same time, I just don't see how we can come up with a solution to this big problem, just like the lady ahead said that uh, Canada had a better system. We were in Spain last couple of years ago, and the Spanish system is completely free to everyone and they completely pay for the medical expenses through their tourism dollars. So we are a large company, I mean country, and we should be able to come out with, with new ways, new innovative ways in paying for this, this uh, type of an expense, which is completely out of control. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yep, and I'll let uh, the senator uh, respond. Good point, Nadir. And um, the I think inadequate solution that the original ACA had was to charge every taxpayer six hundred dollars a year if they didn't have insurance and put that to, toward the cost of the ACA itself. But that was shot down pretty quickly by the courts. Um, as a solution for that. So what, I, what I'm saying is, is the ACA as it currently stands is very broken. And it's just, it's simply not bending the cost curve. And the one thing I think that we have to re-examine is the insurance companies themselves. Why are they still in the middle? Why are they still charging, you know, 25% on top of the cost of medical care? Why are drugs so expensive? There, there are certain things that stick out all over the place that are just red flags. So those are, we already know what the problems are within the system. So we, we just need to systematically go through and fix those. Unfortunately, that is um, something that the state government has very little to do with. So one of my big frustrations is that, you know, the body I serve in the Iowa Senate can't really do much about it at a national level. And I also want to speak up for fairness for people who live in other states. You know, I don't just want Iowans to have good care. I want everybody to have good care. You shouldn't have to live in a state that has a, a Democrat for a governor to have good health insurance. That's just not fair. And it, it's not good for your workforce either. Uh, sick people can't go to work. So it, it just makes economic sense. So it needs to be a federal solution and it can't come fast enough. So I hope um, Joe Biden fixes it ASAP. Thanks, Senator. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, one more question um, that was um, sent in beforehand. Um, so just um, what are your thoughts on guaranteeing insurance coverage uh, for those with pre-existing conditions and without penalizing them, them with higher premiums? 
Um, every single person alive is eventually going to have a pre-existing pre condition. And if they don't, they probably don't go to the doctor very often. So you're talking maybe eight out of 10 adults over the age of 50 already have a pre-existing condition. And most of them will probably have one by the time they're 70. Um, so you're, you're talking about just almost every single American. So yes, I think we should protect that. And um, it should not be, uh, people should not be charged more for a pre-existing condition because you know, accidents, those happen too. Those happen to perfectly healthy people every day and we still cover those too. So I just think, um, and that's why it's so hard to put an actuarial curve on health insurance. It's not like life insurance. You know, you just never know when a healthy person is going to get sick or a healthy person is going to have a catastrophic accident that will change the trajectory of their entire life. So um, that's why I question that as well. So I think it needs to be for everybody. It needs to be affordable and it needs to be subsidized with taxpayer dollars. Well, I'll date myself here, but I remember when being a woman was a pre-existing condition. Just by virtue of being a woman, I paid more. Yep. And when I switched jobs in my mid-20s, I had to sign that I would not um, expect insurance payment if I got pregnant for a year. And I and I'm sure some I don't know how old people are on here, but uh, you know I'm 63, so that was like back in the early 80s that that was still going on. So exactly, um, it's you know pretty much you either you either have a pre-existing condition or you know somebody that's got one. You know it's or it's you're a, a walking one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, open up the floor to any other questions or um, if anyone else wants to share their story. I wouldn't mind if, uh, if you guys can hear me. Yeah. Yep, we can, we can hear you. Okay, I'm driving. So um, I, I, I ran into um, a situation where I got ill uh, last Wednesday and, um, and of course it was flu-like symptoms. And, um, and my immediate thought was to test, um, like right away. So the next day I called, uh, my doctor and, um, and actually called the COVID hotline for mercy and they, um, connected me to a nurse who had said that, uh, they are not testing anybody that shows just normal symptoms. The only people that they are to test those who are um, having severe symptoms, breathing problems such as that. So um, I even looked on the Mercy website that um, their PDF says, if you show symptoms of COVID, um, don't come in, don't go, don't get a test, um, just self-isolate and let everything work itself out. Um, I found that to be an issue. I mean, a problem and of course you know it has to do with health um, and uh, and I see uh, Kim Reynolds um, online today uh, shoulder to shoulder no face mask um, and um, the reason why the hospital uh, you know mercy which is huge the reason why they said they were not suggesting any 
tests was because it's according to Kim Reynolds' guidelines. So um, I, I think that's, um, he's hiding information that, um, I mean, Mercy is just a huge um, entity in Iowa. And if they're telling all of their patients that, I still did um, locate Test Iowa and got a test, but I had to take that extra step to find those people to get that test. And I would have to assume that the majority of the people um, that also call um, don't do that. And I just find that extremely concerning. Yep, Senator. Go for it. Thanks for your, your story, Tanya. And I can tell you that that is a result of Republican leadership in our state. In other states, when you have symptoms, you can just go and get a drive-through test without making an appointment. So it truly matters who is leading our state and who is controlling those decisions. Uh, Governor Reynolds has made that decision. She's kind of gone along the Trump line of thinking, less tests are better. Other governors such as Cuomo in New York and Ensley in Washington have done the exact opposite. They've partnered with hospitals and health systems to do separate testing and you can get a test on demand um, in many places. So uh, that is very particular to Iowa and states that are governed by Republicans right now. So I'm sorry you had that experience. Thanks, Senator. Um, do we have anyone else who would like to uh, share their stories or ask any uh, question? Hi, I don't know. Can you hear me? Yep, no. I can hear you. Um, I feel that um, we're in a situation where uh, the insurance companies are wagging the dog. And I had written in one of my questions um, or statements uh, I went in for a preventive test, and according to my insurance company, that preventive test would be no cost to me. Uh, took the test, um, everything was dandy, and uh, when I received the bill, instead of it saying, you don't owe anything, I owed $2,000. And it was because somebody in the billing department decided to code the, the, the procedure differently. So instead of preventive care, it was um, called diagnostic. And I said, well, was there a difference in the procedure? And the answer was no. So, and the, those codes are given to the doctor's offices by the insurance companies. So I, I asked and I said, is this $2,000 you know, if it were coded as preventive, who would pay that $2,000? She said, the insurance company. So there's a real issue there. And we have all these diagnostic codes um, and you call up and you say, everybody says you should be able to call up and find out how much it costs. You call up and they say, well, what kind of insurance do you have? Well, and then it depends. And if you do this, then there can be this, or it could be this. And then, so, so then you get this wide range of uh, costs that you could potentially be hit with. So 
the the fact that they say, oh, you can call up and find and you can shop around is not true. I would love to see how that could be changed so that I don't care. You could, you could have different insurance companies. That's why we have insurance companies that you can get better deals with one or the other, but be able to call up and say, how much is this going to cost? And at least give me a ballpark. Um, my experience with insurance companies, oftentimes, believe it or not, they have horrible computer systems. And um, it is very difficult for them to even say to begin with. And sometimes it's true in hospitals as well. And, um, and it is a runaround and they've made the system so complicated that that also makes it almost darn near impossible because it's every other Thursday where, where if you're raising your hand and I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you know, it just depends that the plans are so complicated that it's hard for providers to even follow it. And I've had that experience about um, in um, pharmace pharmacies here. I've never experienced this. I've lived in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and now I've, I've lived here for about four and a half years. And I have never seen how I can go to the pharmacy. I get one prescription a month. It should cost me the same blasted amount, and it depends on who is at the counter, how much I pay. And I all say, wait a minute, are you charging, and I'll even say to them, are you charging me the retail price? Are you charging me the insurance price? Because they are different prices. They, they don't want to admit that, but they do. They have, uh, because they have negotiated contracts with the insurance plans. And I said, what exactly are you charging me today? And, they'll, uh, 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 and they come back and then they charge me a different price. So if you don't like one price, you can, it's almost like you're bartering with them. I'm just asking questions, but that's outrageous. And it, it, it dovetails with what you're talking about. If heck, they don't even know what price to charge you. And to continue with that comment, I had a stress fracture in my foot uh, in February. Um, they said, well, you should get a boot. And I said, well, do you have a boot? Well, yeah, and they bring out this monster boot. And I said, how much is it? They couldn't tell me. They could not tell me because the person in billing wasn't there. And I got very lucky and was able to borrow a boot from somebody else. But that's insane. And they, they didn't even know what the cost was, how much they even paid for the boot. So, and, um, I gotta think, I had another point, but I, I have to think of it again. That's all right, yeah. I think like, you know, you just see that a lot of these costs are way too, way, way too much and, you know, and that the, you know, just the, com the complex like insurance plans that they have. Like when I uh, signed up the, for the first time for healthcare, I had no idea what I was even doing. And um, so just like for me, it was, you know, I don't know what to look for. I don't know what to expect and what kind of things I need to even think about, so. Um, I think we have a question here um, for the Senator. Uh, can you just advise if the test Iowa uh, vendor that is doing Iowa's COVID testing uh, was properly vetted before they were awarded their contract? Um, and if there are other options, um, what might be cost-effective, things like that? 
and maybe just like uh, best practices for um, during coronavirus and whatnot as well? Well, the general answer is no, they weren't well vetted. Um, but as we all know, Ashton Kutcher um, has a PhD in immunology and was able to advise our governor to um, buy his program that he's probably invested in to um, give testing to Iowans. And in all seriousness, that same program, people are suing in Nebraska and Utah, where they're also using the similar, uh, same company with similar results. And even the um, effectiveness of the tests themselves are being called into question in both of those states. Um, unfortunately, no one has sued yet at Iowa that I know of. However, we do have one avenue that could be explored, and that is passing a law that says you can't, you know, do no bid contracts in Iowa, and you know, that should be that should be a no brainer, right? Well. Um, the legislature just passed immunity for basically any company that has to do with COVID-19 at all. So my guess is, is that those lawsuits will be blocked by that law, maybe until the courts overturn it. Um, so the Senate has an oversight committee and so does the House, and both of them are chaired by Republicans. So when Democrats like me who serve on the oversight committee ask for a meeting, they say no. So until Democrats are in charge of the Senate and until Democrats are in charge of the House, we will not have any oversight meeting regarding the Test Iowa program. And that would probably be one of my very first meetings that I would call if I was um, in the majority in the Senate on the Senate Oversight Committee. In fact, I would look forward to uh, getting people around the table to figure out um, what happened. I have a question. Why are the other states uh, suing? Is it for testing results? Because another concern I have is um, identification or personal information uh, and that being sold or stolen uh, or whatever. Yeah. Um, my belief is that they're being sued for two reasons. One, that the test Iowa, test Nebraska, test Utah are not living up to the number of tests they promised. So we're not getting our money's worth. And also the second one is, is that um, some of the tests are proven not to be um, very effective. So, you know, the failure rates are upwards of 40% in Utah and Nebraska. They've independently tested some of those. Um, and found that they're just not accurate, either giving false positives or false negatives. So, however, Kim Reynolds really doesn't seem to be interested in finding out the answer, the real answer to that question here in Iowa. So uh, I know people who have tested negative for COVID-19 and gone on to have every single symptom and been hospitalized with COVID-19. And then the opposite is true as well. So it's very disappointing. Um, I don't. I think it was a band-aid for her immediate problem, and that was she needed a testing program. And Ashton Kutcher just happened to be on the phone that day, talking to her about something else, and she said, "Oh, sign me up." So it's unfortunate, but that's what happened. 
I do know also that uh, that somebody else that I had talked to had gotten a test. Um, their test results came back damaged, so they went through the whole testing as well here in Iowa um, in the, at the Kirkwood location, and um, they couldn't even get the results. They just said, come back. So they're not even that great here. <coughs> Thanks everybody and thanks for that center soon. Uh, uh, Clarice for answering that question. Um, and then I think we have an, another question. Um, just uh, can I always start the discussion on the potential vaccine where essential workers are first in line? Well, um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start on that one. Um, since essential workers didn't get the PPE they needed, um, I have absolutely zero faith that they will be first in line for vaccines. Um, so I guess we'll see. I hope they are. Well, and honestly, home companies can hire people who don't even get a flu shot. And honestly, with the way they're um, working on this vaccine and and only using one method to try to come up with one, not not several and um, just the, not the testing that we need. I don't know that I'd wanna be first in line. I mean, honestly, it's uh, until there's a, a safe vaccine and it's up to scale, then I think they should be. But it's scary to me when, you, when you're working in this uh, line of work and seeing all the ins and outs of what's going on behind the scenes, it's pretty crazy. Thanks everybody with that one, uh, with their responses to those two questions, uh, that question as well. Um, wanna, um, do you have just last few uh, minutes here um, that we have, if there's anyone else that wants to ask any more questions or share their experiences, otherwise we'll uh, wrap it up. I have one quick question. Is the ACA worth saving? I mean, I know it's a landmark law, it's the best that we've got now, but I'm just curious, like is it, is it worth the work to save it? Yep. Senator, you can yeah, take that. I think it is worth saving because it is insuring millions of people right now. And some of the provisions of the ACA are definitely worth saving, like keeping kids on your policy, uh, pr protecting people with pre-existing conditions, things like that. And, um, you know, it also helps people who are um, on group plans as well. Um, I do think it needs to be massively re-engineered, but for now, it's the best thing we have. So I do think it needs to be saved until we can find something better or put the improvements through Congress, which even under the best conditions could take a year or more. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Um, well, otherwise, um, I just wanted to um, let folks know how they can kind of get involved. Um, you can go to our website, iowavoices.org slash story slash dash submissions uh, to share your story or, or anything like that that you uh, want to share. Um, and if you want to write a letter to the editor, we're always looking for folks to do that as well. Um, and just make sure that we're just holding uh, elected officials accountable and talking about these issues uh, as they impact Iowans. Um, but I wanted to thank everybody for hopping on and especially to our speakers, Senator uh, Celsi and uh, to Sue. Um, 
for joining us to uh, give their insight and their input as well. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by me, Greg Howenstein. For more information, visit potluck.fm. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe so more people can find us. See you next week on What a Week. What a Week.